Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to this episode of Midweek in the Word. Thanks so much for joining us for another week. Um, As always, I am Pastor Brad Myers, your host and Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor. And uh, this week I'm joined again by Pastor Tom Rempel, our preaching pastor. Thanks for joining us again, Tom, on this rainy fall day outside. Yeah, fall day. It was really chilly out this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so as you're, as you're beginning to bundle up yeah. in your jackets, uh, we're going to continue this, and we're going to continue uh, Tom's sermon series as we head into the fall and the changing weather, uh, getting closer and closer to the New Testament, Tom, as you've been walking through the Bible. If you're unfamiliar uh, with the podcast and you're a new listener or you have haven't been tuning into Tom's sermons and are just joining us. Uh, Tom's been walking all the way through the Bible, Genesis through Revelations, in a sermon series he's calling Route 66, Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation, How Every Sign Points to Christ. And Tom, this last week in your sermon series, you were in the little-known book of Haggai. You were you were looking at both chapters of that minor prophet, which you took the time to mention, not minor as in an unimportant, <laughs> but minor yeah. as in small, simply two chapters chapters this week, but a potent message uh, that I think we needed to hear in this season uh, in the church and in our country. Uh, so, so first and foremost, we're, we're asking these three questions in your sermon series. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about mankind? And how does it point us to Christ? Uh, so firstly, how did the book of Haggai teach us about God on Sunday? Well, it, 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 there were many um, messages. The one I think that stood out the most to me was the Exodus 34 principle of the jealousy of God mm-hmm. for his name and to be worshipped and uh, how they had gotten distracted into their own lives and building their own uh, security and all. And he says, no, give some attention to my house. I'm dwelling in your midst. So I, I would say, um, again, just the, the jealousy of God and, and, pro- and the faithfulness to his promise continues mm-hmm. to promise to live amongst his people. Mm, really important theme throughout Scripture of yeah. God's jealousy and how that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, we tend to yeah. always give that a negative connotation because of the impact on us. But yeah, God's jealousy, really important theme in the book of Haggai. Uh, secondarily, what about what about mankind? What did we find out about ourselves? Well, we find out that the demand that failed in the garden has been replicated over <laughs> and over. And uh, even, even when they had the blessing of the restoration to the land, mm-hmm. they quickly got distracted. Their, their hearts wandered. I think so. We we learn that they're not dependable. They're unfaithful. But also, I think the importance they need somebody to lead the way. He he calls a champion to go before them. They are they are as they were sheep without a shepherd. And mm. so you see the need of man to have a God provided leader. Um, finally, how did that point us to the person and work of Christ? Well, there there were two two wonderful pictures that just jump off of those two chapters. And one is the promise that the latter temple will be filled with greater glory than the first. Mm. And uh, you begin to say, how can that be? Because it didn't have near the gold, the silver, and all <laughs> of that. And then you realize that when Jesus is brought there, when he's eight days old, suddenly the glory of God is in the temple. It was mm. the person that met them there, not the building itself. And then the other one then is that that very baby became the temple. So mm. uh, he tabernacled or templed amongst us and and that that was where God dwelt amongst people and where, where God could be met 
and uh, suddenly he changed it. So there's, there's an image moving forward that is not yet totally unpacked. Yeah, that's yeah. that's going to be a fun one to explore yeah. once we get to the Gospels in the New Testament. And that theme, I know, you know, Christ saying, I'm going to destroy, you're going to destroy this temple and I'm going to rebuild yeah. it. And, and then I'm all looking at him going, what are you talking about? <laughs> We've been 40 years under Herod and you're going to do it in three days. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Apparently they were skipping the Old Testament prophet of Haggai. Well, he was a University well. of Nebraska, you know, construction management graduate, <laughs> honor student. He could make it happen. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, good deal. I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and taking a look at this at this minor prophet in the Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to look at one more yet before we head into the New Testament, but great pictures anticipating Christ um, that well, we'll look actually, forward to. Actually, we get two. I get one this week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and my you apologies. Get one. Yeah, you get the Italian one, Malachi. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So it's coming up here in a couple. That's weeks. right. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Zechariah here at the <laughs> at the end, and then and then we'll look forward to Malachi here in a few weeks going forward. But but thanks for touching on the book of Haggai, Tom. Um, now this week on the podcast, I'd like to explore. We've in the past on the podcast done a few different themes that we th- see flow through Scripture, and uh, as I was reading through Haggai, I couldn't help but notice this theme coming up. It's it's really a prominent theme in the Old Testament, especially. Especially in the Old Testament, but elsewhere in Scripture as well. And and when I was studying it, I specifically found it mentioned around eighty times in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Though it's alluded to a whole bunch of other times in other passages as well. That that theme that we're going to look at this week on the podcast is the idea of God's remnant people. This idea of remnant that keeps coming up and came up three times in two short chapters in the book of Haggai. Um, so this week I want to explore how this con- concept is first introduced in the Old Testament, then how Christ's coming influences our understanding, and lastly, how the rest of the New Testament explores this idea and brings it into the New Testament. So let's start from the beginning on this, Tom. Where do we first see this idea of God's remnant people showing up in Scripture? Well, I think the concept of remnant has to do with, uh, as they say, every pancake has two sides, Mm. and it's judgment and grace. Mm. And so uh, the remnant is the recipient side of the grace after the judgment of God. I think we see it immediately in the garden with Adam and Eve. And just God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. But they didn't physically die. There was grace. And then we see it beginning to develop again with Noah and others. But judgment met by grace, you put the two together and you've got the theme of remnant. Okay, so we're introduced in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. There's this curse on them. There's the judgment. There's the killing of the animal. And there's also grace that God doesn't end the human race at that point immediately. Covers them with animal garments. The animal dies instead of the man. Okay. Okay, so this this idea of there's going to be this people that's preserved through grace in spite of God's judgment on his people. How is that then explored further in the remaining books of the Old Testament? Well, even in, in Genesis, it, it continues with their oldest son, who is the son of their hope and expectation, murders their second son. And so God creates a third son and mm-hmm. shows that remnant. And then when the sin of man just overwhelms and God says, you know, every intent of his heart is to do evil continually. So he says, I will judge the earth. But there was a remnant known as the family of Noah that was preserved. Mm-hmm. And then again, idolatry and all, you come through the Tower of Babel and you're scattered and you're thinking, well, God didn't find anybody with a heart for himself. Oh, no, he finds an idol worshiper by the name of Abram in Mm -hmm. Ur of the Chaldeans, and he calls him and he begins to pick it up in that narrative. And and then uh, with the children of Israel, even the family of Jacob, all of a sudden, it's like all of the sons are just losers. I mean, the stories of them, you almost don't want your teenagers to read. And then there's one called Joseph, and you see 
that rescue of Joseph and in the story of Moses and the children of Israel. So it continues to unfold through each of the eras of the Old Testament repeatedly. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, we see God preserving this minority population, even sometimes within his chosen people of the nation of Israel. Um, So how can we summarize what we might call an Old Testament theology of God's remnant as we move into the New Testament? I I think that it's a reminder again that there is none righteous, not even one, and Mm. that the wages of sin is death. So we see that God's righteousness requires a holiness from even the people that bear his name and that he's built in. If if they are not faithful, he will love them enough to discipline them. On the other side of that judgment, that discipline, there is grace poured out, but only to those who respond righteously and rightly. Hmm. And so he begins to uh, unfold that that narrative through. Uh, you see it. Uh, you see it with the kings and the, and the kingdom nation. And uh, I was just thinking even about Elijah. He's just totally discouraged. And I'm yeah. the only one that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal, and God goes, no, I've got 7,000 that have. So there was a remnant, but 7,000 out of hundreds of thousands. (laughs) Right. That's a pretty small number. They were definitely not the moral majority. But at the same time, God was always graciously, sovereignly, electively working to preserve some who would seek him and follow him. So if, so if I can attempt to summarize this a bit, what we're seeing in the Old Testament is, is God preserves this minority faithful people at all times so that he will have people who are continuing to yeah. worship him um, and share his love with others. Um, though in some seasons, that judgment results in that very, being a very small yeah. minority yeah. Um, group that yeah. comes out of, out of any given people. Okay, so we've mentioned this again and again on the podcast. If, if that's our understanding in the Old Testament, we always have to think in terms of how everything comes through this lens of Christ yeah. and his work on the cross as we hit the Gospels in the New Testament. So how does Christ's coming affect this theme? Does it, does it modify? Does it change? Does it expand our understanding of God's remnant people at all? Well, it, it, there's a continuity there, uh, even though, uh, if rightly read, we realize that, that between Malachi and Matthew is a 400-year period of mm-hmm. silence, and you're asking the question, how, what happened to the promise of God's work mm-hmm. there? And then suddenly you, you come to uh, Matthew 1 and Luke 1, and you find out that there's a, a couple, uh, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, and they've been faithful amongst the unfaithful people of Israel. And then there's a, a, a little uh, peasant girl up in Nazareth hmm. and just a, a common carpenter, and they are faithful even though others don't. So you start to see it unfolding. And then when Jesus becomes an adult and, and you see the remnant again, the whole nation is just kind of living secularly and in rebellion. And yet he says in John 1:12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right. So out of all the call, there are some whose hearts respond. Smaller number, you know, uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate. So you, you see the principle. And then I think again in John 6, when Jesus has had this, this mass response of people, uh, just fed 5,000 men, their wives, their children, and then he says, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they're like, they gag out, and everybody mm-hmm. turns and leaves. Mm-hmm. And he looks around, and he's standing there with the 12. And he says, do, do you also want to go away? It looks like like his complete failed ministry 
And then they respond and say, Lord, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life and you realize there's only 12, yeah. but there are 12. So you, you, all the way through his ministry, you see it. Yeah, and you can't help think of when, you know, when Jesus is saying, uh, my sheep hear my voice yeah. and they follow me, yeah. even though at that point, it appears, why are there so few, yeah. you know, is the way it feels. Yeah. Uh, clearly, it wasn't a failure of Jesus's ministry, but it was a continuation of kind of what we've seen in the well, Old and, Testament. And they said, in, in, even in, I was thinking about Acts 1, you know, after the resurrection and the appearances, you know, 150 of them gathered together. That's not very much fruit <laughs> yeah. after three years of miracle working ministry. But it was that, and it says in First uh, Corinthians 15 that, and he appeared to the 500 at one time. Mm. So there always is just this, this motif of a remnant, but it's never the masses that we long for. He, he, he never in that day built a megachurch, I guess mm. would be the way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's that's really good. I I found in my own in my own thinking, it's it's helpful to think of you know if if God is the king of the universe and and Satan is leading this rebellion with the world against God, you've got this this small subversive uh, rebellion against the rebellion group yeah. that's always operating. Yeah. Um, so if we can say that as we come to the person and work of Christ, essentially that that remnant comes begins to flow through Christ as far as you know Christ being the door. Yeah. You know, I'm the way, the truth, yeah. and the life. So yeah. that remnant becomes defined by their affiliation. Yeah. with the person and work of Christ. Though the theme, uh, some in some ways, remains the same of this yeah. small people yeah. um, that God is continuing to call out for himself. Well, it is 300 miles north of Jerusalem. The attention changes in the book of Acts, and, and, and uh, they were first times called Christians. You know, it was mm-hmm. a slur on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disciples, the followers were then called Christians. So you see the remnant now has a label on it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you're moving into Acts, so you're moving out of the Gospels, out of the direct work of Christ into the Holy Spirit's influence on the rest of the New Testament, which is where I wanted to go next anyway. So how has this theme continued to be explored by New Testament authors after the person and work of Christ into the church age? Well, Paul, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, the controversial (laughs) parentheses in there, uh, he speaks there again of a remnant of Israel that he's given a partial hardening, but with the promise that there will become an awakening again, there will be some even in the nation of Israel who, after the parenthetical church age, as it were, uh, hear and understand. Uh, He also, I think in Ephesians 1, uh, we were chosen in him before the foundation of mm-hmm. earth. So, again, God is still calling out some out of the masses of humanity. They're speaking to Jew and Gentile alike. So I think you, you see it in the epistles. The, the one that hit me was the 144,000 chosen in the book of Revelation. Even mm-hmm. you get all the way to the last book of the story, and out of the nation of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, chosen, marked. There's a remnant hmm. that continue that he works it through. So in relationship to the response to Christ, again, he's the defining line hmm. for who are the faithful remnant. But God is continuing his program that way. Hmm. I, I like I like that you go to the book of Revelation, too, because that, that takes us back to the original definition that we included, where we see this remnant coming out of judgment, being preserved through grace out of God's judgment. Yeah. And that yeah. reminder is, is yeah. so stark in the book of Revelation, which feels so much like Old Testament prophets, like the yes. book of Haggai that yes. you were talking about earlier in your study. Okay, so... 
Uh, one of the things I'm noticing here is that is that you're kind of delineating a bit here, the 144 remnant coming out of Israel. You're also talking about those that are identifying with Christ outside of that. Is, is it fair to apply this remnant concept both to the national identity of Israel and also to the people of God in the church that aren't, aren't ethnic Jews? Yeah, I, I think it was. I, when, as Paul was working his way on the missions trips over and over, it was, regrettably, it was the Jews that opposed the gospel, the preaching of the <laughs> right. Christ. Their Messiah preached to the Gentiles, and they tried to squelch that and suppress it. And Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas on the first journey come back to Antioch, where they were first called Christians, and report what amazing things mm-hmm. God has done. And then even the believers take them to task and say, Okay, do they fit within, as we would call, the remnant of the faithful, the remnant of faith? And, and then they confirm, yes, they do by faith, not by law yeah. uh, with that. But then uh, it's interesting when Paul goes on the second missionary journey, makes his way back to Jerusalem, they meet him there, and he's all excited about what God's doing in the Gentiles, rescuing some. And they remind him, look how many thousands there are of the Jews in Jerusalem that have come to faith in Christ while you were gone. Mm. So you have, the, you have the remnant on both sides of the ethnic line there. Which is why uh, Paul, you know, in Ephesians 2, he's torn down the wall of separation because God was rescuing a remnant on both sides of the wall and he's bringing them together as one body. Mm. So. Yeah, I, as you were talking, I couldn't help but think of where he goes in Ephesians 3 as, as far as that. Uh, you know, Ephesians 3, 4, uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Yeah which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, the Old Testament we were talking about, um, as it has been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so this incredible reality that becomes understood after Christ's coming, um, that this remnant now includes both people from Jewish ethnic Israel and also Gentiles outside of that national identity. That mystery concept almost blew the early church apart. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole Acts 15 council. Yeah. And uh, it was just because Paul said, wow, yeah, he's choosing even Gentiles to be part of that. Yeah, and that the, the book of Romans dealing so yeah, much with that yeah. issue. But such a great reminder, even in our current season, yeah. that we are all part of one identifying body, that, that our identity and union with Christ is the first and foremost identifying factor of who we are, that supersedes ethnic boundaries, su- supersedes socioeconomic backgrounds, supersedes any national identity. I, I heard it said recently, and it was such an encouragement to me, that it's like, you know, you as a believer here in Lincoln, Nebraska in the 21st century have have more in common with a believer across the world of a different ethnic group and a different national identity and all these things than maybe somebody that's right next door to you because your fundamental identity is in Christ as a part of his remnant, the people he's been calling out um, since the dawn of time. Well, and I think that's, that, that does lace it from Genesis 3, brings it into Revelation when he says mm-hmm. that at the throne in the worship those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people mm-hmm. will be bowing and praising and worshiping him. So yeah, our brothers and sisters around the world are a part of the call of God to the remnant. Very good. Okay, okay. so if, so if I can come back to this, let's try, let's try to pull some strings together here a little bit. So what would our final understanding of God's remnant be from the whole of Scripture? If you can modify a little bit your definition, though I sense there's a lot of continuity uh, to what you're saying earlier, <laughs> yeah. what would a biblical definition, Old and New Testament, look like on this theme? I think that, that, that God has, by His grace, chosen to save many. Hmm. 
and that sin has separated us from that God, but his grace has been poured out to the elect, to the chosen few, regardless of their ethnic background or their mm. racial identification, and that he will faithfully, generation after generation, season after season, call out those who will not only follow him, but they will pass the baton of truth to the generation to follow, mm. so that there is always another generation bringing the good news to the world, so that in the end, uh, he can unite all of those who follow him, you know, regardless of what era in which they came to faith in Christ, years ago mm. or tomorrow, make them into one body, one church, one dwelling place. What an incredible reminder, you know, of Christ's words on this rock, I will build my church and the gates yeah. of hell will not prevail. Yeah. God will continue. Even we, we sometimes feel a little bit like Elijah, I'm sure, feeling like, yeah. where is everybody yeah. else? Are we alone in this battle? Um, but God has continued yeah. to be faithful in calling out his people and preserving his church generation after generation. What a good reminder. Um, we're already kind of speaking to it, Tom, but can you speak a bit to why is this theme uh, so prevalent in Scripture and so relevant for us today? I think the significance is that it encourages us to press on in hard times, mm. that uh, sometimes, like you said, it, it seems discouraging. And uh, just, you know, last week, again, just talking to other pastors coming out of the COVID recovery thing, and many that were what we thought seated next to us, worshiping with us, have disappeared. Mm. And sometimes you lose heart, or as one one public uh, evangelical said, you know, will megachurch pastors be content to shepherd flocks of 200 mm. when this is over? But if there are 200 that passionately love the Lord. So in hard times, when times when it seems discouraging or the results aren't exactly what we were looking for, we remember it's the work of God to stir the hearts by grace of the remnant and call them to himself. Mm. I yeah, again, I'm, I'm thinking of the words of Ephesians 4, and, and hopefully we're going to touch on, on this a little bit more at our One Faith service in a couple of weeks, but just that identifying principle of what is it that makes them the revenant, what is it yeah. that makes us the church. Uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, um, there is one body and one yeah. spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Great championing cry and yeah. reminder to us, even as we feel sometimes fragmented in the church today, no doubt. And I, I think the other is to recognize that the only consistent factor from Genesis 3 to Revelation is the living Holy Spirit. Mm. So it is the work of the Spirit that restores the vitality to the soul of the remnant. It, it's not a work that a program can do or a powerful preacher or persuasive spouse can do. It takes the work of the Spirit because the remnant is a transformed heart mm. over and over. Judgment met with grace changes the heart. Amen. Well, listeners, we hope this discussion has been both uh, instructive to you and encouraging to you. We'd encourage you to keep an eye out for this idea of God's minority remnant people uh, throughout Scripture. So much hope there in, in overwhelming odds, in times when it feels like the world is against God's people, against God's church, um, that God has again and again for thousands of years continued to call out people who will not bow the knee to Baal, who will not surrender to the gods of this world, um, but will continue to profess the one true God. And that is no less true today 
as it was thousands of years ago for the prophets of the Old Testament or the people of God. Um, So we'd encourage you to hold on to that and remember that God is faithful. He will do what he's promised, and he continues to operate in this way even today. Tom, any any final thoughts on this theme of God's remnant people in Scripture? Well, just hitchhiking on the theme, I, I think my encouragement would be keep reading your Bible, but keep reading it with your eyes wide open. Look look for repetitions mm-hmm. just like that. What, there are motifs, there are themes, the tie the Scriptures, that lace it to it. It's a beautiful fabric, and mm-hmm. each thread is important. And uh, this is a reminder, don't overlook those that keep coming up. They have meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. Great reminder of what we were talking about last week, where there's some there's some science things that you can do in your reading to get better, uh, but a lot of it just comes down to reading and rereading and rereading, and the more you do, the more you'll see. And highlighters. <laughs> there you go. Lots of highlighters, <laughs> lots of pen work. On the eighth uh, day, God created highlighters. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, well, we got to keep moving forward in our sermon series, and mm-hmm. and so Tom, this this week you've got another minor prophet. You've got the person of Zechariah from the Old Testament. As the Old Testament is wrapping up for us, what do you? looking forward to preaching on from his life? Well, it's, it's interesting that, that God always says we need two witnesses to confirm a matter, and so Zechariah is the other witness to Haggai. Mm. They partnered up preaching at the same time with two different messages. Haggai primarily is focused on the temple, and Zechariah is talking about the, the city of God, the mm. Jerusalem over and over, speaking to the same people at the same time. So I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the complement between the two Two preachers preaching to the same people, two different messages. Hmm, Good. We'll look forward to hearing more about that on Sunday. Any interpretive questions in the book of Zechariah? The the bigger one is, as I said earlier, uh, all of the visions and signs are rather mysterious and troubling, and, and I think people don't get to the message of the book because they get waylaid on trying to mm. figure those out. So really, uh, right now what I'm struggling with is looking for the line that laced the book together. What, when the author started out, he had a theme in mind around which he hung mm. all of his thoughts, just looking to identify that key line. Very good. Um, and, and listeners, just as an FYI, uh, next week we're hoping to shed a little bit of light on some of those visions and, and metaphors and things we see in the book of Zechariah. So as you're reading through, uh, take note of those, um, but hopefully we'll have the chance to shed some light yeah. on that next week, Tom. Uh, finally, how can we prepare our hearts for the message on Sunday? Well, it's probably, as we said, the, the most familiar line is out of the fourth chapter. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And that's enormously encouraging for those who are praying for the salvation of others, for those who are, who are concerned about their season of life, to recognize that God is still alive and at work, and he will use the book of Zechariah in a practical mm-hmm. way to encourage us. Mm-hmm. I know that's been an encouragement to me in this season, both the reality that God doesn't need me to accomplish his work, uh, but the incredible grace that he chooses to use us to do what he chooses to do in this world. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing more about that from the life of Zechariah on Sunday, Tom. So listeners, we hope you join us, whether it's in person or online through our live stream. We'll be doing both the first 8 o'clock service and the 1030 live stream. So check those out when you get the chance. Or if you're joining us in person, we'll hope to see you on Sunday and say hi. Um, And thanks for joining us again for another uh, podcast, another episode on Midweek in the Word. Remember, if you're following along in Tom's weekly reading uh, for the messages, this week we'd encourage you to read Zechariah. 
Zechariah 1 and chapter 14 as well as you prepare your hearts for the message. And again, if you find some some troubling sections there, you want us to shed some light on some specific passages in Zechariah, shoot those questions our direction. We'd love to tackle them next week on the podcast. A couple of quick announcements that I want to make sure you're aware of. The first is for those of you with children or youth in the church, this Sunday, we will be resuming Sunday school for the children's and youth ministries. So looking forward to that. Make sure you take note of that on Sunday morning and plan your schedule accordingly. Also next Sunday, September 20th, uh, just a quick reminder that we have our One Faith event. And whether you'll be joining us by driving in via your car or whether you'll be participating by bringing a chair and throwing it out on the green space south of the church, please RSVP and let us know so that we can get the right number of lunches ordered if you're going to be joining us for that. We'll be we'll be sharing in both baptism and some teaching and worship and also communion at the end of that service. So I think it'll be a real encouragement to our hearts as, as we're getting the chance to all be together in one service for the first time in quite Quite some time uh, in this season. So lastly, church, just know that we will be praying for you and praying for your interpretation and study of God's word over the course of this week. And we hope you join us again next week on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.